If you would, take out your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2. We continue our sermon series, our Christmas series, uh, through the first two chapters of Luke, taking different sections and um, looking at what God has to teach us in the coming of His Son, in the coming of Jesus Christ, who is our King. Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 18 through 20, or 8 through 21. Uh, I'm going to read just verse 14 as we stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. As we stand before the authoritative words of Christ to us, we have marveled that Jesus would become a baby. Jesus was a baby who became a boy, who became a man, who died, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God right now. Jesus is no longer an infant. He is king of the universe, seated at the right hand of God. It's all his, including his church. And he gives his church his authoritative word to be changed by it, according to the power of his spirit. Verse 14, Luke chapter 2. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Oh God, I pray today that we would be those who are graced, who are overwhelmed with your mercy and kindness, that you would be pleased to show us Christ, to show us the glory of the gospel, the power of one who is a king who saves. And we would bow before him in reverence as our king, and yet with joy as the one who saves us. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, on the screens at this time, uh, you can see a picture of me as a child. Now, I'm the one on the left. I I did have some blonde hair when I was around five or six years old, and that's a picture of me and my childhood best friend. Uh, And I remember exactly, like I remember that moment when that picture was taken I remember exactly what we were doing that day. I remember exactly what was going on in that picture because it's what we always did. It's what him and I, every time we got together, which was just about every day uh, before we went off to middle school and, and changed locations and things like that, we, we were together a lot. And what we were doing in that moment is what we did every day. We were playing Dukes of Hazard, And I was... Bo Duke, and he was Luke, Luke Duke, and that's, that's really all we did. That was our little world, and you, if you look at the bottom of the picture, you see that motorcycle helmet. Uh, I had a motorcycle helmet. He had a motorcycle helmet, and we would put those on, and we would find something like the General Lee, and we would always be playing Dukes of Hazard. Uh, that, that was our life. Swing sets were barn lofts and jail cells that we busted out of. And tragically, as my kid, you can take it down now. I know it's distracting. Tragically, as my kids have grown up and and I've tried to to teach them about heroes, I've realized that growing up, I never really got into superheroes. I didn't really understand why my friends liked things like Superman. Well, I, I remember going to birthday parties and they were getting action figurines and all of those things and and I did not understand that world and one reason is that superpowers were just you know they weren't very practical for me 
I, I didn't understand how I could fly. I didn't understand how I could uh, do all of these almost magical things. I, I couldn't do them, and so it wasn't very practical. But jumping over a creek in a car... Or, or, or busting out of a jail cell or a, or a barroom fight. That seemed really practical to me growing up. And, and, and so that's all I thought about. The, the, uh, that's all we did when we got together. The, the Duke boys were our superheroes. We could take our bicycles and pretend our big wheels were uh, the General Lee. And, and, and really the closest thing to a superhero that I ever admired was Dale Earnhardt. I, I really thought he had some sort of magical powers in driving a, a race car, but that's the closest thing. It just wasn't very relevant to me. When we get to the Bible and, and we, we, we think about heroes in the Bible, the heroes of the Bible were realistic and very practical people. They were the most practical people around. They were shepherds. They were those out in the field watching by night. Those men were seen as sort of the cowboys of the day. Uh, this would have been what any kid in Israel growing up, reading the stories, thinking about what he wanted to be, a hero, how he wanted to come in and save the day. He would have thought of the image of a shepherd. He would, that, those were the heroes. Those were the action figurines that they played with around Christmas time. Shepherds were the heroes of the day when you thought about, when kids thought about who and what they wanted to be. And here's the reason why. The chief, the chief hero among the Israelites in the Old Testament is a shepherd boy named David who was this little outcast nobody kid that, 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 that was, you know, out in the field playing a harp. And, and who is he? Where does he come from? And yet he is anointed with the power of God, anointed with the Holy Spirit of God to, to defeat Israel's enemies, to defeat the giants, to defeat Goliath, to overcome the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Malachites, to overcome all of their enemies by the supernatural power of God as a shepherd king. And that was the imagery of hero in, for the Israelites as we think about the Old Testament. And it's wise, we've already heard today, that the good news of the kingdom comes first to the shepherds. God is telling us something about who the hero is going to be. He's telling us something about who's going to come in and save the day. As he goes out into this field, out in the middle of nowhere, and he announces the coming of his son to shepherds. So far we've talked about Luke who is emphasizing the inbreaking of the Spirit of God into the world. And God comes into the world in a way we would never imagine. In the form of a baby. This woman who is without child. She is engaged to be married. She is a virgin. She is a peasant girl. And God comes into the world that way. And yet his prophet, a baby prophet 
John the Baptist we've talked about, that none of it really makes any sense to us. God almost comes into the world covert in ways we would never imagine. There was no massive billboard campaign. There, there was no massive announcement that God was here. He's coming into the world. He's breaking into the world in ways we would never imagine. And that theme just continues as this message goes out to shepherds who are tending their flocks at night. Notice verse 8 of chapter 2. In the same region, there were shepherds. In the same region where Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph. In that same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night. Here, again, we find the heroes, the cowboys. They're out in the field protecting their sheep, probably standing there with torches and rods ready for a wild beast to come after their flock. They are ready for battle. And notice, verse 9, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And as we've said throughout, angels, they, they, they weren't the sort of precious moment figurines that we think of. Angels were warriors, creatures. They were cosmic, galactic, massive beings that protected the holiness of God in heaven, that still protect the holiness of God, the presence of God in heaven. And here an angel of light, messengers, creatures, they, they enter time and space. They appear to the shepherds. And notice what happens as they hit earth. The glory of the Lord shone around them. Now the word glory, it means weight. It means authority. It means power. And so these shepherds are standing out in the field and all of a sudden the sky opens up and there is this galactic messenger standing before them. And all of a sudden the weight, the glory, the authority of God comes forth and, and, and it breaks into the world in such a way that there's almost an explosion of light before these men. God's glory can't come to earth and not break something. And here the sky is broken open with the glory of the Lord shining around them and they are overwhelmed by it. Notice their response. It wasn't, what is this? Let's go check it out. They were filled with great fear. The word is literally mega, otherworldly fear overwhelms them. And, and the nature of fear is that feeling of helplessness. That, that before a situation or a person that we are scared of, I can do nothing about this. And so the, the angel busts in. The glory of the Lord shines around them. And they are overwhelmed with fear, which is helplessness. We can't do anything about this. There is something, there is a force, there is a person that is here that we can't control. That we have no power and authority over. And the inbreaking of this power and glory of the Lord is to signal the inbreaking of the kingdom that has come in Jesus Christ. 
Here, God gives these shepherds a sign. My glory, my authority, my power, my kingdom has come to earth. And it is a kingdom that you can't control. It is a kingdom that when you see it in all its brilliance, you are overwhelmed with fear. That's why to some extent, when we think about the Christmas story, it should scare us a little bit. Anytime we stand around and talk about God coming near, that's not a flippant topic. That's something that's to cause us to tremble a little bit. When you think about the Bible and you think about the story, anytime God shows His presence, anytime God shows His authority, it, it, it brings about terror. It brings about fright. And here God is bringing His kingdom, His authority, His power to earth. And the shepherds who see it in all of its brilliance, they're overwhelmed with fear, which is also amidst the fear a good thing. If you can't be scared of the kingdom that has come to you, then the kingdom that has come to you can't save you. The, the authority, the power, the glory invokes this helplessness within us because it is the kingdom that has come to save us. And so that fear that we feel when God comes near, it is the declaration that we fall short of His glory. Notice the glory of God shone around them and they were struck with helplessness, which is what we are before God. We are helpless, which is good news for us. You know how this works on a daily basis. We are constantly struck with our own helplessness. Some of us this week, we received unexpected bills. And we said, where does that come from? It's Christmas. I've just spent all this money on gifts and now I have to pay for this also? We, we, we feel our helplessness. That's something I, you almost feel like you didn't have any control over. Some of you here today, you're waiting on test results. Months of going to the doctor, trying to figure out what's going on, what's wrong, and you have tests that you are waiting to come back the first of the year and you are worried. And there's that pit in your gut. What is that going to be? You know what God is doing? With that fear, with that helplessness, He's declaring to you, you fall short of His glory. You fall short. You can't control everything. We are struck with our creatureness before the Creator. You don't have superpowers to save the day. You can't change everything. You can't be everywhere all the time. You fall short of His glory. And yet here the sky busts open to show us a greater glory. The glory, the power, the kingdom that controls everything. The power, the authority, the kingdom that has come to save the day. And we bow before this glory. We bow before this authority. Some of you are here today and you... You are overwhelmed with guilt. You're overwhelmed with regret. You rehearse those moments in your life where you, you would say today, if you were honest, that was the biggest mistake I ever made. And you can't get past it. You can't get past that season in your life where you, you walked away from God, where you just did your own thing. And you can't believe you would ever do that. 
And you live with a sense of regret. You live with this overwhelming guilt. You know what God is doing? He's telling you, you fall short of His glory. But there is good news. Because you can't save yourself from your sin. You can't take that guilt and do away with it. Here, the glory of God busts in. The glory of God comes in in a king who has come to save you from your sin. God's declaring to you, you can't save yourself from your sin, but He's come to save you from your sins. And so the glory of God touches down on earth and it invokes fear. Because this is a kingdom we can't control. This is a kingdom that has more power than we do, more authority than we do. And and we're almost struck with a sense of helplessness before it. But notice what the angel said to them. Verse 10, fear not. Now, that's crazy in this moment. The glory of God rips the heavens apart. This angel busts forth, this cosmic galactic creature of light is standing before you. And you are scared to death. You are looking for a cave, a hole in the ground. You're wanting to run. And the first thing he says is, fear not. And your response is, yeah, right. It's not happening. There's no way that I'm not going to be scared of you. There's no way I'm not going to be scared of this moment. But notice, for behold, here's why you don't have to fear. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Good news. An announcement that there is something better than your fear. And notice, of great joy. So we've gone from mega fear, and the same word is used here, mega joy. You you can't even explain your fear before God. You can't even get a hold of it, and you, you, you can't even figure it out. And now you've gone from that sort of fear of helplessness to mega joy. You don't even know the extent of your joy. I'm here to bring you an announcement that's going to overwhelm you and notice all peoples, the nations, with great joy. This joy is for everyone. Luke emphasizes that in Luke. He also emphasizes that in the book of Acts, that the gospel of joy has come to cities and backcountry rugged farmers. It's come to immigrants. It's come to the trailer parks. It's come to the suburbs. It's come to the gated communities. There is joy from heaven that is busted in on earth that causes you to tremble, but causes you to tremble in joy. For all people, notice why, for unto you born this day in the city of David. Now this is the king's town. This is David, the hero's place. A savior, a rescuer, who is Christ the Lord. Now the way this is phrased here, the savior who is king is the Lord, the covenant keeping God of Israel. And so now you have a savior who is king, who is God himself. That's why there's good news. That's why there can be joy. God Himself has come to you as a Savior and a King. And notice how you'll know this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Now that's not the sign. There were literally hundreds of babies throughout Bethlehem that night that were wrapped in swaddling cloths. That's just ordinary. Here's the sign. Notice, 
and lying in a manger. That makes no sense. Don't be scared in the presence of God. That makes no sense. God has come as a Savior King. And you know where you're going to find Him? In a manger. What? Not a crib. No, a manger. A place meant for cows and donkeys and goats to eat out of. Slobber all over it daily. I'm sure they cleaned it up. But if you want to know where the king is, you want to know where God himself is, go find a feed trough. That's where. But that's the sign. That's the way he comes into the world. Not on the throne. Not at the center of the city. Oh, we're talking about David's town? Surely, surely he's going to be seated in a place of prominence there for people to come and see him and worship. No, he's in a barn in a place where animals eat. That's the sign. Notice how, how the narrative moves from fear in the presence of God to this glorious news that God has come to save us. It, the logic here is this. You have every reason to fear God. You're a sinner. You're a creature. Here's the glory of God. Fear God. His presence has come to you. But also amidst your fear, rejoice because His presence coming to you is Him coming to save you. That glory and that authority and that power that should destroy you has come to rescue you. God, who you should fear more than anyone, is coming as your King. He's coming as your Savior. And this title we give Jesus, Jesus the Christ, that's not just His his first and last name. That's just not how we identify him in history. No, Jesus means Savior. And notice he is Jesus Christ. Savior means King, Messiah. And so he is a Savior. He is a King. He is a King who saves. And so when you think about Jesus, you think about Jesus the Christ. And you can't separate who he is. He is a king who comes to save. He is a savior who's king. That means as your king, you should bow before him. You, you, you don't walk before a king flippantly like you do anybody else. No, he's a king. He has power. He has authority. He's ruling. He's reigning. He's the one who provides and protects for you. And so you come before him trembling. But if he's your savior too, you come before him bowing. But as you bow, there's delight in your gut. Because this king has come to save me. And so yes, I bow before him. But I do so with great joy in my heart. He is the king who saves. And so when he says, follow me as my king, I follow him. When he says, take up your cross and follow me, I take up my cross and follow him. But I do so with joy because I know he's the one who defeats my worst enemies. He is the king who saves. This would be great joy, great delight in their hearts. And then all of a sudden they're, they're swept back into fear. Because notice what happens in verse 13. And suddenly, and you imagine they're wrapping their heads around this cosmic announcement. Okay, this is good. This is good for us. And then suddenly, 
there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts. So you go from one warrior of light. Notice how it's phrased, a multitude of the heavenly host. The way this is phrased is all of the sudden in the sky as they hear this good news from this angel, the sky busts open with hundreds of more angels. The word heavenly host means armies. So all of a sudden in the sky, there is this unveiling of armies of angels. So not only do you have to deal with one cosmic being who could destroy you, all of a sudden the armies of heaven are arrayed before them. And they are probably, again, overwhelmed with fear. But notice what the angels do. They begin to worship God. Glory to God in the highest. You are the one with more authority, more power than anyone. And on earth, peace among those with whom is pleased. Notice what these angels are doing. They are demonstrating the joy we are to have in their worship because of the gospel. They, they turn to God and say, God, you are amazing. You are glorious. You've come to save these people. And the angels are almost in the middle watching this going, we can't believe this is happening. God has come to rescue men. He's come to be gracious to men. Men who've rebelled against him. Men who have turned their back on him. These people, these little creatures who rebel against their creator, and now he has come to rescue them. That is amazing. And the whole sky is lit up in worship of the angels. And, and we see here how the, the glory of God, the, the, the display of God's glory, it's not disconnected from your good. It's not. God glorifies himself. God is not an idolater. He can love himself. He can make much of himself because he's always right and he's God and he never does wrong. And so God makes much of himself. But the way he makes much of himself is he includes you in on that. He rescues you from your sin. He's gracious and he's kind to you forever. The text says he gives you peace out of grace. And so one of the ways God brings glory to himself is by giving you grace. Isn't that amazing how that works? The glory of God. Angels declaring the glory of God. And what are they declaring? You get saved. That's, what, that's why they're worshiping God. Because of your salvation. The glory of God and your good are not at odds in Jesus Christ. God has come to make much of himself by giving you grace forever. And that is to change everything. And at this point in the text, we see how the gospel overwhelms our fears. The one we should fear the most has come to save us. Isn't that amazing? So that should change the way you fear the future. Some of you are here, you're worried, am I ever going to make enough money? Are my kids going to be okay? Are they going to be safe? Are they going to ruin their lives? Am I going to be able to afford their college? You're, 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 you're racked with fear about things you can't control. Is my marriage going to last? Is the loan going to go through? What will that cost me? Do these people like me? 
and you are racked with fear. And here the glory of God is what you should fear the most. But it is the glory of God who has come to do the most good for you and save you. And that should overwhelm your fears. As you lay awake at night tossing and turning about the things that, that, that cause you the most anxiety, you should just stop and say, yes, I fear this because I fall short of the glory of God. But the one who should wipe me out and have nothing to do with me has come to rescue me from my sins. And that should change the way you fear things. I'm not going to hell because of Jesus. That should change the way you think about everything. John Martin says you still get to go to heaven. When you complain about things around him, he'll say you still get to go to heaven. I have a friend in Bible college who would say, sure beats hell. When he would hear people complain. And it's so true. Why don't we preach that to us, to ourselves? The angels scream at us. You should fear God. He's come to save you. Remember that. Fear Him most. You have nothing to fear because the one you should fear has come to rescue you. Notice the text continues. And when the angels went away from them into heaven, heaven has spoken. What is going on? Heaven has affirmed it. The shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem. They didn't say, man, I'm tired. It's been a long week out here. Haven't seen my family in a while. No. Heaven rips the sky open. Angels speak. The glory of God is present. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Isn't it amazing that, that the shepherds are the ones who get the behind-the-scene look? It, it would be like God in the middle of the night going out to Okanite, bringing all the factory workers out. I'm doing this amazing thing. I'm rescuing the world from their sins, and you get to know about it first. Shepherds out in the field, working third shift. Verse 16, And notice they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Again, a feed trough. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. Imagine them finding the place he was and People all around in the streets. Maybe they had family members and friends who were there with them. And they said, we're here to tell you something. This baby in a manger, yeah, the manger over there is slobber down the side of it from the goats and donkeys. He's God's son. He's the king. He's the one who fulfilled all of David's promises. He's the superhero come to earth to save us from our sins. And people would have said, you guys are weirdos. This is strange. Why are you busting in here in the middle of the night so early in the morning? What are you doing? Notice all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. They, they, don't, they don't necessarily get it. See, we think if I was in the narrative, I would get it. Shepherds come running in the barn. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. We would all bust out in a Christmas carol. No, we wouldn't. We said, what are you doing here? Get out, get away. You're weird. You're strange. Go back to your field. They're confused. But notice Mary, she treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Why is she doing it? 
Because Mary, did you know? Yes, she knew. She knew before anybody else. And so when the shepherds bust in and say, this is the king, Mary is sitting there going, yeah, I knew that. I knew it. Yes, God is breaking into the world with the power and authority of his kingdom. And I've been let in on it. I've carried this baby. I've given birth to this baby. He is God's king. And she treasured, she weighed these moments. The the words are she literally protected them because they are the very words of God coming true. And notice the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. Notice, Mary and Joseph believe the word of God. They believe what the angels have said. And so they fulfill the word of God in naming him Jesus. Also, Jesus Jesus places himself under the law and becoming circumcised. He will live according to the law all the days of his life. The name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Here we have the word of God coming to completion, fulfillment. But notice what the shepherds are doing. Glorifying and praising God for all they have seen and heard. In this narrative, the announcement that's gone on throughout all eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. God is great. God is large. He is massive. He is glorious. He deserves all praise. These cosmic beings circling the throne of God. Now that worship has busted into earth to shepherds. So what are they doing? They are worshiping. Just like heaven Just like these creatures in heaven, they are found in worship and praising God. Notice what they're also doing. They are telling everyone they see. They are making known what they have seen and heard. Notice these shepherds, they don't have to be coerced to do evangelism at this point. They don't. It just comes out. Y'all won't believe what happened to us over Christmas. This amazing thing, the sky busted open. We were scared to death. And yet the announcement of God's king came to us. We didn't really know what to do. So we went to Bethlehem to see if it was true. And it was true. God's king has come. The kingdom is at hand. No one had to twist their arm. Let's go tell someone about Jesus. I know you're going to be. No, it just came out. They declare the good news of the kingdom everywhere they go. And one of the works of Satan that we will feel in our hearts over the next few days is this. We as a culture even set aside this time of the year and we call it Christmas. For months since Thanksgiving, we've gotten in our cars, we've walked through stores, we've walked through malls, and we have heard songs about Jesus. On on TV... We've heard Linus declare to us the good news of the kingdom. We're going to gather this week and we're going to look around at nativity scenes in Granny's kitchen. And and we're going to... There may even be someone at your family get-together who says, let's read the Christmas story. Someone's going to stand up, read from Luke chapter 2. 
and then we'll walk away from it as if it never happened. Isn't it tragic that we set aside this time of the year to, to contemplate the greatest reality ever? And it doesn't change us the way it changes the shepherds. They're full of worship. They're full of praise. Mary is overwhelmed reflecting this is the king who is present. And they're telling everyone they knew. To set aside such a time, it should have more an impact on our life. But it's a picture of what goes on in our life on a weekly basis. We gather once a week to say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Look around at what he's doing. His kingdom is moving. What kind of effect does it have on us? You want to be a better witness for Jesus this Christmas? Treasure Jesus. Contemplate the glory that is going on here and don't move away from it. it. Genuine worship leads to genuine mission. Reflection, treasuring in your heart that this is real leads to expressing it with your tongue that it is true. Jesus is Lord. Hearing, seeing, treasuring leads to telling you want to be bold for Jesus in the new year? We always set goals for ourselves. I want, I want to be better at sharing the gospel. Spend the next week treasuring the fact that God became a man. He busted in in flesh and blood and died on a cross and was raised from the dead. Consider the magnitude of this. Spend more time in worship. Worship leads to mission. These shepherds, the lowliest of, uh, of the outcasts, come in and they are amazed by this reality and, and they can't help but talk about it. Let it percolate, meditate, simmer. It, let, it, let it get down within you. And you'll talk about it. You'll be full of talk about it. We do that with everything else in our life. If I walked up to you and said, did you see the game yesterday? Some of you wouldn't even know I was talking about Tennessee and not Kentucky. <laughs> because you've thought about it since then. You were worried about it before they won, and now that's all you've been able to think about. Same thing with the gospel. Think about it. Pray through it. Let it set in. Let it be a part of what your families do in the next few days. Don't let all of the clutter, don't let all of the sentimentality, don't let any tradition creep in that would cause you to minimize the fact that the glory of God in the highest has come to a feed trough. And notice what happens here. The point of the story of the shepherds is that the heroes are just like us. Shepherds. Shepherds would be a lot like accountants, school teachers, professors, stay-at-home moms, engineers. The gospel comes and they can't help but talk about it. That's a picture of the church's mission. Heaven breaks in and announces the good news week after week. You can't help but talk about it. And that reality just... For a minute, consider who, you're, who you would consider heroes in your life. Just consider who you would say, that's my hero. Probably someone a lot like a shepherd. Grandparents who just love Jesus and they couldn't help but talk about Jesus. VBS leaders who couldn't help but talk about Jesus. Mom and dad who brought you to church 
and loved Jesus and couldn't help but talk about Jesus. No supernatural powers. No galaxy far, far away. But you know what they did tell you? The good news that the hero actually became a lot like you. He took on flesh and blood. He had eyebrows. He had fingernails. He was a baby. Laid there sucking his thumb. Became a boy. Probably played with a shepherd figurine. Action figure. Became a man who never sinned. Never did anything wrong. Had friends. Went to weddings. Celebrated things. Weeped over death. Weeped over the fact that that his disciples just couldn't get it. He was tired. He had a culture. He had a family. He had a heritage. He had traditions. And on the cross, he became like you in a way that should scare you to death. Because the one who had no sin, the Bible tells us, became sin for us. And he became like you in a way that if you reject him, should haunt you. Because on the cross, the Son of God who was perfect was treated as a sinner. He was abandoned. He was forsaken by God for you. And now he stands before you and says, there's grace and there's mercy for all who would believe in me. And the glory of the kingdom that is busted in, the angels saying, the glory of the kingdom that has come in a manger has come in a cross and now is seated at the right hand of God and offers you eternal life if you would just believe in him. If you would just believe in him. I want to plead with you today to believe in Jesus. I realize some of you come here every week. It's really something you do every week because it's just what you do. Some of you have been doing it for years. Some of you have been doing it for a few months. Don't come this close to the glory of God and walk away and not be changed by it. Don't come this close to the gospel message and act like it's not relevant, that it's not practical, that it's not real life. Don't come this close and not walk away and be transformed by it. I want to offer this time today just before we move into the new week for you to sit there and think about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've had a wonderful service today. A lot of great things have gone on. We, we have admired and been overwhelmed with the excitement of our kids declaring the gospel to us. We're thinking about all we have to do this week. I don't have to get up in the morning and go to work. And some of us, that, just, that joy and that, re, that relief there as you continue to think about that. Don't move from this moment until you come to terms with Jesus. A baby who is your king who must be worshipped who must be trusted as your Lord and Savior. If you've not heard anything else today, hear that. Hear that. Jesus died for your sins. Jesus has been raised from the dead. Jesus is what makes sense out of your, all of your life. When you believe in Jesus, you're going to suffer. You're still going to sin. But at least you have Jesus. Believe in Jesus today. Let's pray.